Thank you so much for checking out the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Support for today's episode comes from Paragus Northwoods Company, located on the edge of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness in Ely, Minnesota. Hi guys, this is Steve from Paragus Northwoods over in Ely. You know, we're really happy to be sponsors of this new and innovative outdoor program on WTIP. Congratulations to WTIP and best of luck with the program. Well, we try to be innovative ourselves in our business since we opened the garage doors behind our little Ely house in the summer of 1979. We were selling wood stoves and window quilts back then, but within a year we had switched from cast iron to Kevlar. That made my job a lot easier and our canoe trips a whole lot more fun. At Paragus Northwoods today, we're all about canoeing and wilderness camping. Our store on Ely's Main Street is open every day year-round and in summer from 6 a.m. till 10 p.m. We must have everything a paddler needs because we're really at the end of the road, the last stop before the Boundary Waters Wilderness. Our outfitting department, I believe, is the best you'll find. We use all new canoes and all new gear every summer. We not only rent an outfit, but Nancy and I and our amazing staff, we're all paddlers, and we all take canoe trips in the Boundary Waters every summer. Paragus, the store, the catalog, and the canoe trip outfitting are all online at paragus.com. Please stop by when you're in Ely, where your friends up north at the end of the road, working every day for our customers and to keep our watershed pristine for future generations to enjoy as we have. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experience were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool, it was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars, I will set my sights by the northern star, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Welcome to episode four of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Baxley. And I'm Joe Fredericks. Coming up today, Matthew, in episode four, uh, we're going to start out the podcast episode with a really interesting interview uh, with a Twin Cities-based artist. His name's Wayne Potraz. And in addition to being a, a really highly esteemed artist, he loves the Boundary Waters makes annual trips sometimes for weeks at a time. And he's actually done some art in the Boundary Waters. He's a metal sculptor. No kidding. Yeah. He casts bronze and, and does all kinds of, you know, really interesting work. And it's actually in the wilderness. He's done some work in the wilderness. Yeah, Forest Service crazy. came in and inspected his site one time. <laughs> you know, he, it, so he's up to some shady things. Well, they didn't know what was going on, mm-hmm. but it all checked out. Uh, Wayne tells that story in, in, in the episode coming up here. So, uh, yeah, that's really interesting. That's the, the first featured segment is our discussion with Wayne. And in the second half of the episode today, we're gonna you're going to hear from us out on Duncan Lake 
in the Boundary Waters, where we joined up with Derek Hofeld, who is the current owner, along with his wife, of Loon Lake Lodge. And you may be wondering why we ventured into the Boundary Waters with this fellow. Well, we decided we want to take advantage of his backcountry cooking experience, and uh, we whip up some pretty tasty treats, which we evaluate and discuss extensively in the episode today. That was a great trip out there to Duncan Lake with Derek and oh, you <laughs> in know, March, and oh, it was just awesome. You know, we had a very unexpected snowfall, which I was just made it blissful. Yeah, caught some fish too. Uh, of yeah, course so, we did. <laughs> so we'll hear that in the second part of episode four coming up. But first, let's hear our discussion with Wayne Potras. And joining us now on the phone is Wayne Potratz. Hey, Wayne, thanks for uh, joining us on the podcast here. Yeah, you're welcome. Happy to be here. Yeah, so let's uh, talk, you know, a little bit about your experiences in the Boundary Waters, of course. But let's start with uh, two th- your most recent trip. You know, were you up in 2017, or what's your most recent time up here, Wayne? Well, I usually do three trips a year. So in the summer, I did a solo trip. That was a uh, a, ni- a nice trip, just about five days just by myself, mm-hmm. uh, in Clearwater Lake. I'd never been on Clearwater, so I, I, I just like the topography of it. Mm-hmm. So I did that trip, and then in the fall, I did uh, just a towing trip. I'm going with a, uh, a friend of mine we've been going a long time. He's nearly 80, so he doesn't like to do a whole lot of portaging and stuff like that. And then another friend I've been going with for probably an equal amount of time, maybe 40-some years uh, Terry Collins from uh, Grand Marais. Uh, so, yeah. so Terry, my friend uh, Tom, and I uh, just got towed into SAG out of Voyagers uh, and um, just uh, camped on um, Englishman's Island, actually, and day tripped and fished, and that's where I did the little, I did a little smelt there um, with uh, some um, charcoal and a little furnace I built out of rock and a. Um, and a little uh, a hand-powered blower. Yeah, so nice. Anyway, that was the, <laughs> yeah. we could tow in, you know, I could pack 50, uh, well, I packed in, I think, 25 pounds of charcoal. So it used 25 pounds of charcoal. So. Wow, nice. So let's talk, yeah. uh, you know, a little bit uh, about your, your connections with art and the Boundary Waters. I mean, there's there's yeah. been a, a number of uh, pieces and, and just... Uh, you know, trips that you've made with a, with that in mind, some of your solo adventures. But can you tell us a little bit about why why the Boundary Waters has been a, a place of artistic connection and, and uh, just a platform for you to visit? For sure. Uh, first of all, is the silence. There's there's very little uh, noise pollution, so you're you're just hearing what the world is like um, if it's unimpeded by uh, man. And um, we're kind of a noisy raucous species, and uh, it's nice to be in the quiet, so that's one thing. Uh, secondly, uh, it's the spatial quality. When you're in a canoe, you have this 360-degree uh, spatial experience, and uh, it's kind of a reciprocal thing. When you look down you know, the water, you see um, the reverse image of yourself, and in order to go forward, you have to paddle backwards. So there's kind of this reciprocal relationship. Uh, between space and time and uh, and consciousness, and uh, that uh, feeds uh, the imagery that I put into my work, 
And I began to think about the whole idea of a canoe trip as a kind of um, a work of art, uh, the way in which it's organized formally and um, its rhythms and um, its uh, unexpected uh, encounters. Uh, so that that was um, that, that's the main thing. It kind of feeds the imagery that I work with as an artist, and it uh, it kind of uh, refreshes and restores my um, my being, my consciousness. Yeah, nice. So that's interesting. The trip itself uh, can be viewed as, as a piece of artwork. That's what I've been thinking about, you know. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, my last, uh, my retrospective show, I, it was kind of uh, the main kind of installation was under a tarp, and uh, so it was uh, kind of interesting. I see the tarp as a definer of space, and I've got a real nice. I've got two um, uh, two tarps, brightly colored, and um, I, I really like that that idea, you know, that there's a kind of sense of color being introduced into the landscape as a kind of formal element, but then the rest of my gear is uh, pretty low, pretty low key. I have a solo canoe that's a cedar strip solo that I built. Nice. So um, I, I like going through the, the world with just what you can carry. That's uh, kind of an interesting uh, idea. And the cedar strip that you mentioned, uh, what's the weight on that that you love your solo? Um, I've, well, I think it's about 35, mm-hmm. 35 pounds. It's only 13 and a half feet long. Mm-hmm. This holds me, uh, my uh, my pack and a day pack, and maybe a catch of food, depending on what I'm doing. And um, I guess uh, the reason for, I built this with Tom Christensen, who's uh, up there and has the foundry and is the artist in, in Lutzen. And uh, we built two of them, and uh, it was just a really nice experience it was like making a sculpture but uh it didn't have uh it, it was it, it was contentless in the sense of of an idea but then it became an idea of this kind of moving through the the water as a work of art yeah nice and you've also uh, while we're talking about building canoes you built a canoe that's uh well over that 35 pound range right what's up yeah with that i did one? i made i've made two canoe pieces first canoe i made was uh uh, 13 and a half feet long cast iron canoe, uh, weighs in about 880 pounds. That's out at Franconia Sculpture Park. Nice. And then, um, recently, I cat in 2013, I cast a, a seven foot canoe. I did that down at uh, Keen Foundry down in Houston, uh, Texas. Uh, and I did it in three days. I made, made the mold, shipped the pattern down, made the mold, in two days and poured it on the third day with uh, Donna Keene down there. So that's uh, that's actually, that piece is actually going to come up to Grand Marais, uh, and it's going to be in uh, Boulder Park. So I'm going to install that in um, in May, sometime in, I think sometime in May. Nice. Um, yeah, something like that. Yeah, wow. And has that, uh, I've heard you talk about this one in the past in, on WTIP and some other uh, media outlets too, about uh that one you think can float, but you've never actually tested it. What's the status on that? Well, I mean, the, they both would float. I mean, uh, when that piece was shown, there was a, a father and a son who were interested in mathematics, and they came in to see the show, and they thought, well, what, wouldn't it be fun if we could calculate the, the, um, the displacement of the canoe? So they kind of figured out a mathematical model, but kind of a rough geometric mathem- mathematical model, and plugged in my dimensions, and they came up with, the fact that it would displace about over a thousand pounds of water, so it weighs eight hundred and eighty pounds. So it would float, but it would float with very little freeboard. And the same thing is true with the seven foot canoe, 
because it only weighs 280 pounds, and I'm sure it would displace much more than that. And you still have yet to test that that theory? No, or... I haven't tested it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a wrestling an 880 pound thing into the waters. That's something I want to do at age 75. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's going to be just uh, uh, enough for me to wrestle this uh, 285 pound canoe into the area over there in uh, Grand Marais. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so Wayne, as I mentioned, you uh, more than 40 years, about 45 years, a professor at U of M, uh, 13, yes. 13 years as the chair of the art department, and. Right. Uh, you've been coming up to the Boundary Waters for how long, that, that entire time, or what's, what's your... Oh, well, I think I started coming up in the 70s. It's hard to remember now. My first trip was with um, another colleague from the art department and um, a couple of ex-students. They were, they were both older students, and one had been... Uh, well, one was a certified marine engineer, and the other one was a woodworker, carpenter, cabinet maker and um so that was our first trip and uh, we went into sag and went up into canada and came back down you know, went over uh silver falls and into little sag saginagans and mm-hmm. up and around and back into the north end of big sag and down and so it was a wow. about an eight or nine day trip that plant the seed and, and you know that was it you were hooked from then oh uh, yeah well i you know i i had worked at ymca camp st croix and i was a a Boy Scout. I'd been on a few canoe trips as a Boy Scout and at YMCA Camp St. Croix. We did some canoeing, but uh, so I've always liked canoeing as an idea, mm-hmm. and as a easy way to get around the landscape. And um, that just is that yeah, that one canoe trip that was it. And so as often as I can, I've been coming up three times a year. And my inspiration is a many a year ago we were canoeing and we kept being shadowed by these two guys. They just it was like um, they just shouted us. We couldn't shake them, and we, they finally caught up to us. And they were two guys in their 80s, and they had volunteered. Uh, this was in Ogish. They were volunteering on a bridge on the trail there that goes through Agamuck and Mueller. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they were, they were in their 80s, and they were kind of subsistence fishing on lake trout. So they had just one pack, and it was such an inspiration. I want to... I thought, I want to do this until I just can't do it anymore. And uh, so that's been my goal. And my, my friend Tom Guype and I, were he's going to be 80, so I think he's going to make it. So I got, uh, I'll have about four more years coming up here. Uh, and I want to keep doing that as long as I can because it's, it's really an important uh, part of um, my life right now, and it's an important part of my art. And um, it really needs to be protected and preserved. Yeah, and and uh, you know, uh, Wayne, I came across a, a quote that you you said in a, a video. I think it was around your retirement in 2014, uh, and and you had this quote in the video. It says, "Wilderness doesn't care whether you're alive or not." And my interpretation of it was that it's it's a powerful force, and you're just you become a part of it while you're out there, but it's not going to grant you any favors. Or what was it? What were you trying to? Uh, what was your message there? Well, um, you know, it's one thing I could be prepared to be in a in in a in a situation that can change very quickly in terms of like weather or or you know potential accidents or illness or you know all kinds of things that uh, you know we live in a society where help is almost instantly available you know, like the cell phone that we're talking on right now. Uh, but, you know, when you're out there, 
you don't um, you don't have those luxuries. You have to depend on yourself, and so and your and your immediate friends, your fellow travelers, and the people that you meet. So it's a it's a very different relationship to the world, and you realize that uh, you're just a part of this uh, kind of rhythmic consciousness of the world, and um, you have to be careful. But you also have to, you know, celebrate it and enjoy it. It's such a gift. You do some subsistence fishing, as you mentioned. These two older gentlemen were doing that. But you, you, uh, what do you like to chase? And you got any fishing stories from the Boundary Waters for us? Oh, I have tons of fishing stories. Uh, you know, some of them uh, have been greatly expanded over the years. <laughs> um, one of my fondest memories is sitting in uh, Emerald Lake. On the uh, be on the east side, early in the morning, and the light was coming down against the cliff, and you know, fishing the drop line, you know, where the the rubble and uh, it's falling in from the cliff mm-hmm. where it drops off, and it was just right there on the shadow, it was right on that line, and you could just see the bass in there, and so I was just you know trying to entice the bass and uh, watching them go for the lure and catching bass. I love to catch bass, but yeah. you always think you got this giant fish on your on your line if you can't see it and then when you when it gets there it's, it's usually this fairly small thing that <laughs> has given you a very interesting little little fight you know yeah yeah you know I like to cook fish and uh, I, I you know my goal is if there's four guys I want to catch enough fish to feed four guys you know so one or two fillets mm-hmm. kind of thing or we, sometimes we do a uh, you know like a, a soup or something like that it just depends. Who's, who's along? Yeah. Nice. And, and so you uh, mentioned that you do some, some cooking, and that's a, an integral part of your trips, you know, as far as uh, what you're going to be eating and fish or, yeah. or whatever it is. But uh, you do you do other types of cooking, too, and that, that involves uh, some of your artwork. Can you share us with us some of that? So I like to bake stuff, mm-hmm. uh, build little um, kind of stone ovens in the, and get them pretty hot, just uh, burn burn some wood in there and, um, you know, for a while and get them pretty hot and mm-hmm. do your other cooking. And then at the end, uh, use that residual heat to, you know, bake a upside down cake or a cobbler or something like that. So I like to do that. Yeah, nice. And then uh, the other kind of cooking maybe you're referring to is uh, last the past five years we've been kind of doing, we've been like cast, uh, well, I cast some aluminum, cast some bronze. And last year we did a little uh, smelt. So using charcoal and um, kind of uh, human-powered blowers, you know, little double blowing, like the kind of thing you blow up on an air mattress with. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of push-pull uh, hand-powered bellows and uh, some charcoal and using the clay and uh, duff and uh, gravel for molds and making waxes and uh, casting a little aluminum and bronze. So I did that. Uh, one year, and then the next year, we did a couple of years. We did bronze, and then last year we just smelted a little iron. So I made made a little two pound bloom uh, from Minnesota magnetite. So it was fun. Nice, kind of a fun diversion. Nice. And does anybody has anyone ever encountered you while you're in the in the zone there and, and making art and and you know really creating something at camp? I would assume has anyone ever kind of either just paddled by or stumbled upon you and gone, well, what, what is this individual doing? Uh, I guess we had a, a couple of rangers check our campsite once on Big Sag. I was out fishing, and I had built a little kind of little side furnace off 
right next to the um, grate out of stone and clay and was that and that's what we were going to use to melt bronze in a little tiny clay crucible. Uh, they didn't say anything. They didn't, mm-hmm. they didn't see it as uh, any kind of violation or anything. So we you know we we just like we use all the boundary water rules, which is you know leave no trace. You know you shouldn't you should try to um, try to not uh, be as uh, disruptive of the environment as you can. So yeah. clean up. Yeah, nice. And, uh, and I like to leave a little catch of, of wood and stuff, you know, uh, fire starter and stuff like that. Because one time I uh, came off, it was really windy and rainy, and we came off, we were really cold and uh, tired. And um, uh, this is up on uh, Basswood. I can't remember which lake now. But anyway, and uh, we got to the site, and somebody had catched a nice, under a curled piece of birch bark, they had catched uh, some tinder and some split little split kindling and some little quarter quarter split birch and i mean it was really good it was really fast getting the fire going so kind of like to do that you know kind of uh, pay it forward in a way yeah nice yeah i know some uh, people who uh, believe in that as well and it's definitely uh, come in handy for me uh, as, as you mentioned you know you come into a, a situation where you can't either you don't have time or the the circumstances aren't adequate to go gather wood for a fire so it's uh, it's a nice thing Paid forward, yeah. as, as you mentioned. Yeah. So just lastly, when uh, something I was wanting to run past you was, you know, for someone with your experience coming to the Boundary Waters and uh, as an artist, uh, do you ever encourage some of the younger artists that you meet or just maybe younger people that, uh, you know, family members or whoever it is uh, to come up and, and check it out and, and, you know, kind of promote the Boundary Waters or encourage young people and, and uh, to keep that momentum going and, and that people can find a, a similar connection oh yeah my you know as soon as my kids could swim they came up on a trip with me i think they were like six and seven maybe uh, and my daughter had been to um uh, wolf ridge and that uh, was great my daughter was we camped on an island in um alton it was an island had a little bog in it my daughter the seven-year-old uh daughter was instructing me on bog ecology it was really wonderful <laughs> so you get a nice. book that way my son loves to fish and i can't wait i have grandkids now but they're like uh one and three three plus so as soon as they know how to swim a couple years maybe uh for the granddaughter five six maybe seven something like that she wants to come up so uh, it's you know one of my one of your goals now when you get in your late years is like geez i'm going to stay alive so i can one, you know, I, I take my uh, grandkids out into the boundary waters. So it's uh, one of the things, I'm, um, one of my goals, you know, one of my goals right now. Yeah, yeah nice. Good. Well, uh, what's uh, on the radar for 2018? You got anything lined up for what, what you're going to be doing uh, in the boundary waters? Uh, yeah, I'm going to come up and fish trout again in, uh, at the opener. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I'm going to go on a trip with uh, Bladesmith and um, – couple of friends from Grand Marais, um, uh, out of, out of Big Sag, uh, up to, into, through Oliphant and maybe in the Knife, I don't know, somewhere mm-hmm. in that area, uh, just on a five day trip. All right. And, uh, then in the fall, uh, do another, uh, trip, uh, just a short trip with my, my older friend, uh, maybe, uh, one or two other people, uh, just into Seagull or maybe into Sag. Depending. Nice. Well, good. Well, glad that uh, you're still 
enjoying the Boundary Waters and everything it has to offer, making the connections through your art. And uh, just sounds like you've been enjoying it for a while and you have every intention to keep it going. So thanks for... uh, Absolutely. Uh, You're most welcome. Happy to talk with you. Yeah, thanks, Wayne. Appreciate it. Yeah, you will. So there it was. That's our discussion with Wayne, a really fascinating guy, Matthew. I, I really enjoyed talking with him, and it sounds he's like he's incredible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So his story just kind of speaks for itself, and it sounds like he's going to continue to uh, enjoy spending time in the Boundary Waters now that he's you know retired from the University of Minnesota and and just kind of trying to get up here every chance he gets. It sounds like so. Yep. We'll perhaps see Wayne out in the wilderness someday. You know, it's so cool to constantly get the opportunity to connect with these different members of our wilderness community. Uh, I'm blown away by the uniqueness of all of these different people, and we still share so much in common. And uh, for this next segment of episode four, we're going to pick it up right in the WTIP parking lot. see we are joe fredericks and matthew baxley here hey good morning <laughs> so we're headed up uh, up the gunflin trail this morning matthew it's march 2018 still plenty of snow um we're at the wtip parking lot we're gonna go up do some fishing and eat some food how's that sound for I a got day? good appetite for this <laughs> <laughs> and as you can tell we're rearing to go so that's uh let's get moving let's we- head out of here man got a big day All right, we're out here, episode four of the Boundary Waters podcast. Matthew Baxley is over there. Uh, looks like he's opening up a bag of camp chow. He's, there's a great jay that just landed right behind him, <laughs> came and stole some of his food. Uh, we're also here with the man from Loon Lake Lodge, Derek. How how you doing, man? Great. It's good yeah. to be out here. Yeah, great to be out here. We're on Duncan Lake. It's snowing right now. It's uh, mid-March 2018. Beautiful day. Uh, we've caught some lake trout, and we're about to enjoy a smorgasbord of food. We've got a, a beautiful setup, a, a buffet line, if you will. And the one that's got me most intrigued is this uh, boiling bag of omelets. Uh, Derek, before we get into the food, um, can you share with the podcast listeners here a little bit about uh, your background, You know who you are at Loon Lake Lodge, and, and how you ended up to be a resident of the Gunflint Trail? Yeah, so my wife and I moved to this area in 2013 with the idea of, you know, the Gunflint Trail. We've always read about it. There's there's resorts up there. Maybe something will pop up. And five days after moving here, we met two of the nicest people in the world, Tom and Terry Caldwell, the, the previous owners. And uh, we told them our story. And, you know, from there it went, uh, it was just meant to be. And now we are the happy owners of Loon Lake Lodge. <laughs> and you got uh, your, you and your family now are living family. there. My family. Uh, my growing family. We've got a two-and-a-half-month-old and a ten-month-old. And, a and uh, yeah, they seem pretty happy up here. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And um, so you've done some uh, backcountry, you know, maybe guiding, I'll say, and definitely some cooking in the backcountry. Uh, can you share with us a little bit about that? Sure. In, in college, I did a four-and-a-half-month backpacking trip with a class of eight people. And uh, just changed changed my life forever. 
I got a whole new respect for nature and how comfortable things can be out here and how well we could eat out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and then after that, my, my wife and I did a 31-day wilderness challenge course with kids that were sent to us by the court systems. Uh, it was just for us to get them out into the woods and show them new, new hobbies, healthy, healthy hobbies. And uh, we did a lot of cooking for them. And that's, that's where my passion for cooking came from. And then we bought this, uh, we bought Loon Lake Lodge, which happened to have a restaurant with it. And my wife convinced me that I knew how to cook well enough to keep that going. Uh, and it's been great. We're out here in the Boundary Waters, um, as I mentioned, on Duncan Lake. And what do you think uh, people should keep in mind for, uh, you know, we're here standing on the frozen Duncan Lake. And as I mentioned, snowing out here. But uh, we're about to eat what I consider to be, or I'm hoping to be, before we try it, a pretty delicious meal. Uh, what's something people need to keep in mind about when they're thinking they can enjoy good food in the Boundary Waters, even here in the winter? Think about prep that you can do and think about what you can put in a Ziploc bag and freeze and bring out with you. Um, that's what we have here, um, omelets in a bag. So I scrambled the eggs yesterday, I sauteed all the veggies we have in there. Um, then I put it in a Ziploc bag, threw it in the freezer, grabbed it on our way out today and, you know, put it in a hot pot of water and it's as easy as that. I think uh, cooking in the backcountry can be really simple. It just takes a little bit of, a little bit of prep. Yeah, nice. And who was it, uh, you mentioned some of your trips and that you'd done, uh, you know, over the years. Who were you cooking for, like, in, in the backcountry? Oh, that college trip, we were just cooking for each other. And we got to experiment with, you know, all the food we have out there. You spend 48 days in the backcountry. Uh, it's inevitable that you guys just start talking about food. So uh, we experimented a lot. And uh, I've learned how to cook things like calzones and pizzas. And and I don't know, man, you name it. Like, you can do it with these with a very few, like a limited amount of gear. Yeah. It takes a, a small stove and a couple cooking utensils and... Yeah, and that's that. Yeah, cool. Well, what do you say? Should we eat? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Matthew Baxley over here in the kitchen. Uh, what do you got in front of you here, man? So we've got Derek's omelets still in their boiling water. Uh, so they're going to be our, our hottest meal because they're going to be fresh out of the pot. Uh, and Derek, what are the ingredients in the omelets? Uh, spinach, kale, onions, peppers, nice. and eggs. Yeah. It's a nice veggie omelet, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. And then next to that, uh, still in the frying pan, we've got fresh-caught lake trout. Oh! And uh, caught by Joe himself and right up by Joe himself. So, Joe, what did, what did you use to season this lake trout? Did you share? Yeah, we got uh, just a little bit of salt and pepper and cooked it up in some butter. And then we've got uh, some Italian seasoning on there. It's looking looking pretty solid. And then what's the uh, what's the other entrees here? So we have two other entrees. Uh, the first, uh, brought to you by Camp Chow, was freeze-dried and now rehydrated. It is uh, cheddar mac and cheese. It's a vegetarian dish. Yeah, vegetarian. All Decided right. that we should have a little something for everybody's dietary needs. And then next to that, we have beef stroganoff with rice, also a Camp Chow, uh, and now rehydrated. So what we're going to do is we're going to sample all of these and share some of our feedback on... Uh, how each of them taste, and we're going to use a few different measures 
for how we rate each of these meals. So the first one, which is most obvious, is flavor. How flavorful is it? How does it taste? Um, and the second is freshness. So we have a variety of uh, levels of freshness here. We're also going to evaluate it based on the prep time it takes to get the meal ready, the cleanup, post-meal, and cost. Yeah. Excellent. We'll uh, grab a fork and dive right in, eh? Okay, uh, let's see. We'll, we'll start over here with the omelet. Uh, Matthew, you're about to take the first bite. I just want to say, before I take the bite, that this omelet comes out of the bag and sits perfectly in my dish. Yeah. So I can just fork a big mound of egg goodness. <laughs> here he goes. Oh, nice. Oh. <laughs> I feel like I'm at the nicest gourmet restaurant and, and here you are in the Boundary Waters, eating an omelet at, uh, in the middle of March, and in a, in a, turning it into a pretty significant snowfall. I have to say, just in regards to flavor, I can taste it all. Nice. I can taste the spinach, I can taste the vegetables. Veggie. So we got another, this is another great vegetarian dish. Yeah. And it's hot, which is especially great for a cold day on the ice. All right. Well, uh, maybe you want to move on to uh, then you can get ba die back into that omelet here in a right. second. Will you let? One more bite. <laughs> how about uh, camp chow? Maybe maybe try something with some meat in it this time. Uh, how about that stroganoff with rice? All right. Yeah, this looks pretty hearty and good after uh, you know hard day out fishing or camping. Here's first bite. Incredibly flavorful. All right. It tastes like I'm. I just took it off the stovetop. Yeah. I can definitely taste the meat. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, cool. All right, uh, Derek, you want to dive into that fish, man, and, and take a take a bite of the fish? Oh, the fish. I, I was going to eat the <laughs> fish. Why are you letting him eat the fish? <laughs> yeah, all right, get your fork in there, too, oh, okay. man. <laughs> fresh, fresh, Doesn't get much fresher than that. Yeah, fresh-caught lake trout. Check it out, right here. Oh, it slides right off how you'd want to see it, you know, gourmet style. And yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is for me, right? <laughs> yeah, we got a nice uh, nice fillet. That's probably like a 20-inch, 21-inch, two, maybe somewhere in there. 20 to 22-inch lake trout, so perfect fillets uh, came off of that. And Joe, you want to taste our... Uh, There's not going to be much fish left. Cheddar mac and cheese? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I better. Um, Let's see, just set that there. There we go. And oh, look at this mac and cheese. Nice. Super creamy. Yeah, you're not kidding. Get in there on that. Oh yeah. Noodles are a perfect uh, consistency. Not, not rock hard by any means, and not mush. You know how sometimes those uh, freeze dry can get kind of mushy. Oh yeah. Cam Chow does a good job with their uh, either the amount of water that they encourage you to use or whatever the case may be to make it but it's uh creamy and consistent and and uh delicious round two yeah keep it going nice i think one uh important thing to point out is that no matter what all of these take prep and if you're going to buy a pre-made meal mm -hmm. you're basically paying for the prep that somebody else did mm -hmm. but that prep still has to happen mm -hmm. uh and uh, if you think back to last episode where Brenda and Allison were sharing their story, Allison did all of her own freeze uh, drying, dehydrating of her food before her own trip. 
So this is basically paying for somebody else to do it. Don't mind me. <laughs> <laughs> How's that omelet, Joe? Oh, man. That's awesome. <laughs> mm. The concept of it is genius. Omelet in a bag. Yep. So so you froze that. Yeah, and it's then... the easiest way to bring eggs to the backcountry mm -hmm. by far. And so it's the eggs have been cooked, and all you're doing is just basically heating up. The eggs weren't cooked. Oh, okay. they were. I, I I cracked the eggs. I put them right yeah. in the bag. I scrambled all of it together. I see. Threw yeah. it right in the freezer. Excellent. Yeah. So the you know the the bag of frozen goodness is is in your pack, just waiting to be heated up. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, so uh, what do you think lends itself uh, to boundary waters cooking over, say maybe you know some of your Alaska stuff or more West Coast stuff? Anything that stands out uh oh, fresh for, walleye for sure <laughs> fresh lake trout yeah walleye and lake trout certainly speaking of lake trout and i feel that the scenery is a huge part of it mm -hmm. when you're out here in the middle of nowhere everything tastes better after a nice long hike or you're fishing you're getting kind of cold get some warm food in your belly yeah i'm feeling that i'm feeling right that now. yeah yeah did you try some of this uh camp trout i here will today? yeah please get in there so let's see um you're eating the camp chow beef stroganoff with wild rice. And what are your thoughts on this meal here? It's perfect. Like all the prep is done for you. It comes in a bag. I saw that you were able to just put boiling water into the bag and let it sit. So so would you so if you were to say a one out of five in regards to preparation and cleanup, one being a lot of work, five being minimal work, what would you put this at? Well, it'd, it'd have to be five because there's no no prep, and the only cleanup is taking an empty bag out with you. Nice, wonderful. Yeah. Good. And then how about the mac and cheese then for uh, Camp Chow number two? It's it's fantastic. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I want I'm, I'm like, to ask you this. So, on the freshness scale and the flavor scale, would you be able to tell a difference that this was just prepared the way it was versus something? You cooked yourself and ate from well, scratch? Well, sure. Like the, the beef stroganoff. Um, if I were to bring some beef stroganoff of my own into the backcountry, it, it'd be a little fresher maybe than the, than the freeze-dried because I'd cook it and probably freeze it, you know, the night before I take off. And But as far as, as freeze-dried food goes, like it, it doesn't get much simpler than that. Yeah. Nice. Excellent. How about uh, lake trout here? You, you oh witnessed that being caught. In fact, you pulled it from the hole, so you were you were involved. Uh, what's your thoughts on the lake trout here? So what did you throw on there? Just some butter and yeah, butter, and then um, Italian seasoning, salt, pepper. Yeah, and I bet even without any any of that, just something to keep it from sticking to the pan. Yeah. It's it's fresh lake trout, you know. Yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It was, it was pulled out of the hole, what, 20 minutes ago? Yeah, about that, yep. yeah. So what do you think on the, you know, texture, consistency, the filleting of the fish itself, perhaps? If It's great, and the best part about it is that it takes one little fry pan and one little stove, get it nice and hot, throw it on there. Just the, the vision of the fish, hearing it sizzle and seeing the steam, uh, it's just, it's a beautiful thing out here. <laughs> so the prep for something like a fresh-caught fish is a little different paradigm from everything else because there's no guarantees. you got to bring the gear out to catch it. Uh, there's a huge front-end investment. But I think it's, it's part of the experience of it, and it affects how the whole thing tastes. W what do you think about that? 
Uh, yeah, right on. It's uh, you need the gear to catch the fish, I guess. If we're, we're starting there, and uh, and then all you need to bring in is a, a little baggie with some butter or some seasonings, whatever you like on your fish. So as far as prep goes, after you have all the gear to begin with, you bring it in and you hope to catch a fish. And once you do, <laughs> I will point out that you have to uh, fillet the fish, ah, and yeah, uh, in winter that can get. A little bit cold. Uh, I mean, just because it's, I took my gloves off because I didn't want to get them covered in fish guts and blood right. and, you know, lake trout slime and so forth. So um, filleting a fish on a frozen lake is a bit of a process, definitely. But with a sharp knife, you can you can do it efficiently and quickly for that matter. Absolutely. Even this frying method you did, if you were to just cut the belly and take the, the organs out, yeah. it would it would cook up about the same. Yeah, exactly. And my preferred method for cooking lake trout when I'm winter camping is actually to exact what you just said, gut the take out the in, insides, the guts, and put some lemon in the cavity. Right inside and, there, yeah. And I usually even have a fire going when I'm winter camping on the ice, and I'll just set the lake trout in some aluminum foil with a oh. little bit of butter and put that in the just kind like of the a, coals. Just like a baked potato. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and then I can just keep fishing while the trout's cooking. I don't need you know, fuel, propane, and uh, isobutane mix or anything like that. I can just let the wood cook it. So there's there's definitely plenty of options that are even easier than this. Uh, we just filleted it up just kind of for the easiest sake of eating it, you know, out here and so forth. But uh, And they just, that 22-inch just made such a beautiful fillet, you know. Oh, it is. Yeah. You can tell Joe's speaking from his place of passion right now. <laughs> hey, well then, uh, how about the omelet? What do you think? Uh, freshness, Matthew Baxley, what do you think? I'd say definitely a five on the freshness scale, and flavor also five. Uh, being nice. Well, <laughs> uh, and also it seems like a little, uh, super easy on the cleanup, but uh, maybe a little more work on the prep. Yeah. Just the home prep is a little more. So I, I cut the veggies and sauteed them, and I took, you know, 10, 12 minutes, and then put it all in the bag. So there, there's definitely some prep, but it's it's all about the camping experience. you got to plan before you come out here. You can't come out here with, with nothing and, and expect to have a great time. But So you were talking to us earlier, sharing uh, some of your experiences, especially working with youth, and, and you made a comment about how learning to cook is an incre- for yourself is an incredibly empowering thing whether it's at you know at home in the front country uh, but I'm wondering if, how that you've seen that be empowering for yourself or other people in, in the back country well we're working with the kids I worked with uh, they were sent to me from the, the court systems and they didn't have a lot of support they didn't have a lot of uh, people teaching them simple things like how to cook a meal and to get them out in the woods and out of their their comfort zone you know they're hiking with a heavy pack they're they're hungry and you sit them down and just like at home when everybody congregates in the kitchen because that's where the food is that happens in the back country too you start cooking up good food and people come around they smell it they're hungry and especially with all these kids out there you know we'd hike five to 15 miles in a day and and they were hungry they ate a lot and to to give them the confidence to have them cook their own out in the back country where it's totally different from in your kitchen because, you know, everything you have is, is on your back, and that's it. Uh, give them the confidence to do that out there, and then, then to see them, you know, back in, the, in real civilization. And it's, a, it's a good thing for everybody. 
That's awesome. You know, I think back to my f- early teenage uh, backcountry experiences, and we were eating spam and ramen. Nothing wrong with that. And, and right, <laughs> there is nothing wrong with that. And and you, when you're hungry, it tastes good. But this, I mean, there's a really cool uh, element to being able to to bring this all together and eat something that's a whole level above that. Yeah. Hey, well, uh, speaking of, time for me to dive into some food. Uh, we're out here on Duncan Lake. Uh, been enjoying some food out here. Derek, we appreciate uh, your expertise on this from Loon Lake Lodge. Yeah, and, and you ringing me out. Yeah, and you run, uh, you run the kitchen there at Loon Lake Lodge, so yeah. you're, anyone uh, headed up the Gunflint Trail could uh, check out some of your food there if they're not able to have this uh, opportunity to go fishing and and uh do some cooking in the backcountry like matthew and i had so thanks so much for for this and uh let's eat coming to you live from the wtip boundary waters podcast dinner time (laughs) i want to say a special thank you to derek for coming out with us on Duncan Lake. What a, a great time. It was. That day was just, I mean, we were out there for maybe, I don't know, five hours, six hours, something like that, and it was just a great time out there, a nice day trip, and to add that experience, like we had a mission, not just to catch fish, not just to, you know, ski in, snowshoe in, but to cook and, and really embrace the culinary aspect with a chef on the Gunflint Trail, no less. I feel like we had some legitimacy with us today. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, uh, you know, I also want to point out uh, and give thanks to not just Derek, of course, but in the first part of episode four here, our discussion with Wayne Botras, the artist, and a wonderful discussion with him. And remind our listeners here on the podcast that we really encourage those stories. If you know someone, um, please email us, bwcapodcast at gmail.com. And that's how we're finding a lot of these stories that you're hearing in the podcast is people are, you know, it doesn't have to be about you if you think, you know, that's not, you don't want to say, oh, contact me, I've got a great story. But if you know someone, that's how we've connected with Wayne. I, someone here uh, in Cook County said, hey, you know, I know an artist that comes up to the Boundary Waters, he's a really interesting guy, and maybe you could contact him. And so it was in a, someone suggested that story idea to us, and it, you know, the rest is history. So... Please contact us with your stories, bwcapodcast at gmail.com. And thank you to everybody who's already emailed us. We've gotten some amazing stories lined up coming up in the next few episodes, and that's been straight from your emails. So thank you so much. And thank you for every one of you that's listening to the podcast. You're why we put this podcast out. And also a big thanks to our sponsors who are helping to make this happen. And I want to say a special thanks to Joe, my co-host, for all of his enthusiasm and the hard work he puts in in his free time to make this happen. Hey, having a blast doing this, man. This has been a lot of fun and want to keep it rolling. And uh, again, thank you to Paragas uh, Outdoors and, and their support for this episode today. And we'll just keep cruising along. Uh, please remember to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And enjoy our short little episodes that we're plugging in from time to time. Don't forget to give those a listen. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, I'm Joe Fredericks. I'm Matthew Baxley. Enjoy the Boundary Waters. I'm going to get through to the other side. Out in the night, the waves beat the shore. You can hear them pounding. You can hear them roar. Roll me, rock me in my dreams. You can roll me, rock me.